Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I thought of that verse as we were singing. And, uh, and want you all to know, if you're new here at Windsor Road, uh, we're, we're, we're built on the rock of Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, crucified, dead, buried, raised, reigning. And that's what we believe here. And so we're um, so happy to have the opportunity to worship uh, again on this Lord's Day morning and I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room that's just outside these doors and to the right. And I would be delighted to just meet you and um, pray with you, hear your story. If uh, you'd like, care to do that, uh, I would just appreciate some FaceTime with you uh, for just a few moments. Our guest services team, some of our elders will be uh, in, in that room too. So we, uh, we uh, have created that space to be a place of hospitality, not just there, but throughout the whole building, but that's, that's where I'll be after services, and I'd love to meet with you. So welcome here at Windsor Road. So I want to start our message by telling you a story. Um, it's an old story by the Brothers Grimm. It's titled, The Old Man and His Grandson. Slightly adapted. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a very old man. His eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, his knees trembled, and when he sat at a table, he could hardly hold a spoon, and he spilt his oatmeal all over everywhere, or sometimes let it run out of his mouth. His son, normally a very good boy, grew disgusted with all of this. And so he made the old man, he made the old man sit in the corner behind the stove and gave him his oatmeal in a clay bowl and not very much of it, mind you. And then the old man's trembling hands couldn't hold the bowl and then it fell to the ground and shattered and the wicked son said, you eat like a pig. I will therefore give you a trough. And he gave the old man his own father, mind you, a cheap wooden bowl that cost one dollar. And he made him eat out of it there in the corner. And the old man used to look toward the table, and his eyes were full of tears, and he did nothing but sigh. One day, the little grandson was playing with some blocks of wood from his toys. And the father asked, what are you doing there? And the little boy said, well, I'm making a little trough so that when I'm big, I can give it to you to eat out of. <laughs> and the son was convicted and came to his senses. And immediately he took the old man from the corner, brought him to the table, and from then on, he always let him eat with them at the table. And he gave him the finest of oatmeal, steel cut, 
organic brown sugar. And whenever the old man spilled a little bit of anything here and there, he said nothing. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Moral of the story, the son learned that by taking care of the old man today, he was taking care of his tomorrow. Hmm? Now that story is the heart of the fifth commandment, which is our topic for this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 20. You'll find that on page 61 of your church Bibles. It's, we're just going to look at one verse, but we have been in this journey through the book of Exodus, and we're in a series within a series. We're looking at the Ten Commandments, so we're just taking each commandment and really probing the depths of God's wisdom in giving us these uh, ten words, literally ten words, ten commandments. Um, and, and what we've learned is that rather than seeing the commandments as a ladder to climb by my own effort to get to heaven, that, that's not why God gave us these commandments. God originally gave these commandments to a freed people. Israel had been freed from slavery and God brought them to Sinai and gave them the gift of his word, the gift of his, his wisdom. And so these 10 commandments really are, they, they are how freed people remain free. And that's so important for us to remember. God said in Exodus 19 of Israel, you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. And by the way, the apostle Peter repeats those descriptors in his letter in the New Testament, treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. This is who God says we are. Now, how then... How then ought a kingdom of priests, how then ought a people who are God's treasured possession and a holy nation, how ought such a people live their lives? And thus these commandments. And so we've learned that commandments one through four really summarize what it means to love God. Jesus said, that the two most important commandments are loving God and loving others. And commandments one through four teach us what loving God looks like. What does it look like to love God? Commandments one through four. And then commandments five through ten really describe what loving others look like. So there's the vertical relationship that's primary. But then that gets played out in our horizontal relationships with one another. The fifth commandment is the bridge between the two. It's the transition here. How God wants us to treat our parents. And the Jewish rabbis taught that as far as children are concerned, parents represent God. And thus, Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. May we say that together as a church family? Here we go. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is God's word. Now today, let's explore this by first understanding what does it mean to honor our parents. Let's talk about what that word honor means, and then we'll talk about who's responsible to teach this command. And then I want to deal with the question that may be in the backs of some of your minds, at least. I'll talk about that question in a little bit. And then we'll talk about what it actually looks like to honor our parents. So that's where we're going this morning. First, really, the what. What does it mean to give honor to our parents, your father and your mother? Well, the word honor literally means um, heaviness, gravity, or importance. So when you hear someone say, don't take this lightly, or this person's no lightweight, that's what we're talking about. Uh, Give weight to. Take this person seriously. Treat your parents seriously. The word honor can also be translated glory. So give your parents the glory as parents. God says that our parents are VIPs. They're heavyweights, and God expects us to treat them as such. And notice the command says, honor your father and your mother. So against a culture that gives pride of place to manly males, the fifth commandment requires equal honor for both. Furthermore, verse 12, father and mother, that echoes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that the verse singles out father and mother, one father and one mother. And the implication, as far as the Bible is concerned, is that of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Verse 12 says that your days may be long, literally, on the soil. On the soil that the Lord your God is giving you. Now think about that for a minute because those who first heard this command at the time of receiving the command had no soil. They had just left Egypt. They were on their way to the land of promise. But God says when you occupy the land that I have promised to give you, it will remain yours as long as you treat your parents with dignity and honor. So parental respect is foundational to Israel's strength and durability. So, so note that this is a national promise. It's a national promise. So it's given to the people as a whole. In a culture addicted to elevating heroes and celebrities... And in a culture addicted to the quest for personal glory, the Bible asserts your heroes are at home. They they who partnered, at the very least, they who partnered with God in the creation of your life, honor them and your nation will live long. And this is not rocket science, is it? I mean, the parent-child relationship is the start of society. 
St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, 1,500 years ago. Think about that for a minute. Preachers have been probing this text for, for you know, Augustine, 1,500 years. Augustine, this, this swan of preachers, and here this cricket is chirping. St. Augustine of Hippo said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? God created the family to be the first hospital, the first school, the first government, the first church. And if we do not respect authority at home, where else will we, will we respect it? Ask the police, ask our judges, ask our school teachers, ask a counselor, ask a pastor, ask an employer. You know, this week I did an Amazon book search uh, under two subjects. One subject was the word leadership, leadership. I just typed in the word leadership. Do you know how many listings, entries there were? 60,000 on leadership. And then I typed in the word followership. 120. Everybody wants to be a leader. Who's going to follow? See, And you cannot be an effective leader if you don't know how to be an effective follower. See, And the family is the first place where people learn to follow. And it's the responsibility of the parents. It's the responsibility of the mother and the father. More than the school, more than the church, more than the state to discipline, train, and instruct their children to show honor. That's why Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7 say, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So Deuteronomy 6 says that God wants parents to have a ready-to-teach lesson at a moment's notice. At a moment's notice, you need to be ready to teach because you never know when class is going to begin. So you take your child to a funeral. Sweetheart, this is grandpa's body, but grandpa's not in the casket. He's with Jesus. Or, oh, this watch. You think this watch got here by itself? Oh, no, it, this watch has a design. And in order for it to have a design means there's a designer. And that's the way our world is. Yes, the soccer field has boundaries and rules, and you can't just kick the ball anywhere, and you can't just pick the ball up. The game is fun when we play by the rules. That's the way life is too, see, at a moment's notice. And you know, don't you? You know you have about two minutes with children, and then the teachable moment goes. So you need to be ready, which means that the commandments need to be on your hearts because you can't teach what you don't know. And when parents do their job and train their children, then the family's healthy, and, and it creates what uh, Malcolm Gladwell has termed the tipping point 
the tipping point. It's that, it's that magic moment when a belief or a social behavior crosses a threshold and tips and spreads like wildfire. Uh, there's a contagiousness and there's, there's uh, little causes that have big effects and then there's this dramatic all at once change. And when parents are honored and when the family is healthy, it creates, it creates a behavioral force multiplier, a tipping point. And it really truly can affect neighborhoods and cities and counties and states and and there's the potential for national health and, and national blessing that God provides. That's what's behind the phrase, and you will live long on the soil. So ultimately, our security is not in the military or in money. Our security is in complying with this command to honor God by honoring those whom God chose as our parents. And when we honor our parents... We honor God and so preserve our future. Honor your parents and God will honor your future. That's verse 12. Amen. Amen. So the question then is, what does it look like to honor my parents? And the answer is, that depends on how old you are. Right? So for children living at home, it's what I call the Nike way of honoring your parents. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. I mean, the Apostle Paul touches on this in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So when mom or dad say, please clean your room, finish your homework, do the dishes, take out the trash, get off the phone, pick up your clothes, make your bed, set the table, just do it. Don't gripe, don't whine, don't complain, don't argue, don't pout, don't sulk, don't bellyache. It's not a democracy, it's a benevolent dictatorship. The key to peace in your home, the key to getting along with your parents, the key to honoring them while you're living in their house, under their roof, paid for by their money, the key is to obey them immediately, wholeheartedly, and joyfully. Just do it. And, of course, the verse says, Paul says in Ephesians 6.1, in the Lord, in the Lord, which means that if your parents ever ask you to do something against the authority of of the word of Christ, if your parents ever ask you to break any of the Ten Commandments, if you're asked to lie, steal, or otherwise break the law, refuse, refuse. And that would mean your parents would ha be having to do a pretty rotten job parenting. But otherwise, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, Paul uses... Exodus 12, 20, to teach that very lesson for his spirit-inspired purposes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. But we need to probe deeper into this command. And doing so will teach us that this command was first given to adult children. Adult children meaning God wants his people to honor their parents by caring for them when they are too old to care for themselves. 
God wants Israel to protect the elderly. Um, elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul echoes this in 1 Timothy 5.4. 1 Timothy 5.4, Paul says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So the fifth commandment says that no one is disposable. The fifth commandment says that people matter to God even when they lose their commercial value to the Lord. The fifth commandment says that people count even when they can't make bricks anymore. And how we treat our parents when they can't take care of themselves indicates how we'll treat the poor, the helpless, the under-resourced, the least of these. It starts at home. And so let's return to that phrase so that you may live long on the soil. So God has a social security trust fund that will ensure the health and well-being of every aging parent. And here's how it works. Take care of your parents and God will take care of you. You watch their backs, God says, and I'll watch your back. You do unto your parents as you would like for me to do unto you. That's, the, that's really what we learn in Exodus 12, 20 when we probe the depths of this command. It's how we treat our aging parents. And now the question that some may be asking. You don't know my parents. Hmm. My parents were abusive. My parents were dishonorable. Um, I read about a church member not this church, who said to their pastor, not this pastor. A church member once said to their pastor, you know, I always skip the first two words of the Lord's Prayer because I'd hate to saddle God with the image of the Father I know. And still another commented, every year, every year I look for a Mother's Day card that will be respectful without expressing some affection that I can't imagine feeling. How do you honor a dishonorable parent? Look, the Bible's realistic. Uh, and if your parents were faithless, if your parents were faithless, then you have something in common with those who first received these words. And let me explain. Exodus tells of how God began to prepare his people to enter the land of promise. And he told them, you know, it, it's time to move out and trust him. Exodus 23, 27 says... You move out. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So God promised to do all the fighting. All Israel had to do was walk. Just move your feet. I'll do the fighting for you, God says. So, so in Numbers chapter 13, Moses sent of a sort of a 12-person core of discovery, and they were gone 40 days, and then they returned two of the 12, Joshua 
and Caleb, Joshua of the book of Joshua. Joshua and Caleb, two of those explorers, came back and said to Moses and the people of Israel, this is good land. That we can occupy this land. It's just, it's marvelous. Let's do it. Ten of them said, no, we can't. I mean, it's just too, too hard. There's no way. And, and the Bible says that when the Israelites heard this, they sided with the ten and they began to grumble. Numbers chapter 14, verse 3 says, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And at that point, God said, Enough. I have had it. Every person 20 years or older except Caleb and Joshua. Every person 20 years or older, 20 years or older, think about that the next time you're wondering what the age of accountability is. Every person 20 years or older, except Caleb and Joshua, everyone who saw the plagues, the Passover, the miracle at the Red Sea, everyone but Caleb and Joshua, 20 years or older, will die in this desert. You will not enter the, you're not going back to Egypt. That is not ever going to happen. And, and if you don't want to go into the promised land, fine. You will die here in the desert. The children you said would be taken as plunder will enjoy the land you rejected. Numbers 14, 33. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Not even going to bury you. You're not even going to get a burial. The fifth commandment was written for these children the ones who suffered for their parents' faithlessness. Is there anybody here suffering for your parents' faithlessness? Maybe they were absent. Maybe they were abusive. Maybe they had an anger problem or an alcohol problem. They ran up the tab and you're stuck with the bill. And you're paying. You're paying emotionally. You're paying in people skills. And, you've been, and you, didn't, you did not do anything. You, but you're doing the laps in the wilderness for 40 years. See, So how easy it would be to just write them off. They're going to die in the desert anyway, so I might as well just leave them behind. And God says, no. No, that wouldn't be right either. You need to realize that your, sinner, your, your parents are sinners just like you, and there is no excuse for their sin. But how you feel about them shows how you feel about me. Because people who resent their parents often resent God. And the fifth commandment does not say, honor them if they were honorable, it just says honor them. Honor them regardless. 
And the only way that you will heal the hurt is to treat them like Jesus treated those who hurt him. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. As an adult, the way you honor them is not to obey them, but to make sure they're cared for. And maybe that means checking in on them, communicating with them, staying in touch. And in their later years, it may mean bringing them into your home to care for them or, or providing the best facilities you possibly can outside your home. And that may incur expenses, and that will, that will change spending habits and even giving habits to the church. But the Bible is clear. Hear me, hear me. We are not to put one dime in the offering plate if it means that our parents go without. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You watch their backs, and I'll watch yours. Exodus 20.12. Some of you remember a um, columnist named Irma Bombeck who once wrote a very moving article titled, When Did the Child Become the Mother and the Mother Become the Child? A nuclear physicist once figured out that if a woman has a baby when she's 20, then she's 20 times as old as the baby. When the baby is 20 and the mother is 40, she's only twice as old as the child. And when she is 60 and the mother is 80, she's only one and a third times as old as the child. When will the baby catch up with the mother? Does it begin one night when you're asleep and your mother's having a restless night and you go into her room to tuck the blanket around her bare arms? Or did it come the rainy afternoon when you're driving home from the store and you slammed on your brakes and your arm sprang protectively between her and the windshield and your eyes met with a knowing, sad look? The transition comes slowly as it began between her and her mother, the change of power. Suddenly you are spewing out the familiar phrases you learned at the knee of your mother. Well, of course you're sick. Don't you think I know when you're not feeling well? I'll be over to pick you up and take you to the doctor around 11 a.m. Well, where's your sweater? You know how cold the store gets with the A.C. on. The last thing you need is a cold. You look nice today. Didn't I tell you you look nice in that dress? And then there's their rebellion. Well, I'll thank you to let me make my own decisions about when I'm tired and when I'll have the good sense to go to bed. Stop treating me like a child. She's not ready to step down yet. But slowly and insidiously and certainly, the years give way, and there is no one else to turn to. Where are my glasses? I, I can never find them. Would you dial that number for me? You know how I always get the wrong one. 
look what I made in macrame today. I'll make a sling in blue for your kitchen if you want. It kind of reminds you of that small hand in plaster of Paris framed over the sofa. And then the rebellion. Oh, mother, you're not that old. Surely you can still see to thread your own needle. The daughter isn't ready to carry the burden. But the course is set. The course is set. The, the first year you celebrate Thanksgiving and you roast the turkey and your mother sets the table. The first time you grab her arm when she walks over a patch of ice. As your own children grow strong and independent, the mother becomes more childlike. Mother, I did not take the remote unit off the table. Did so, did not, did so, did not, did so, did not, did not. I didn't see your dad last night. He's dead, mother. Why would you say that? You're a horrible child. It reminds you of the imaginary friends that you had when you were a child. And so you bathe and you pat dry the body that once housed you. And you spoon feed the lips that once kissed your cuts and bruises and made them well. The naps are frequent as yours used to be. And you accompany her to the bathroom and you wait to return her to bed. And you never thought it would be like this. And then, one day while riding with your daughter, she slams on her brakes and her arm flies out instinctively in front of you between the windshield and your body. so soon. You know, the day Jesus died, he was honoring his mother. Scripture says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's the apostle John. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. So, so he didn't say, I'm dying, I'll never see her again. He said, I am returning to my father in glory. Care for her until she joins me. Church family, you take care of your parents, and God will take care of us. Watch their backs, and he will watch yours. Amen.